To put it in language that you all understand, this is start number two of In Goal Radio. The founders, Kevin Woodley and David Hutchison, are standing by. I'm Darren Millard, and we are very excited to follow up our debut podcast that featured Roberto Luongo of the Florida Panthers on a car ride with Woodley and Sandy DiBiase from CCM Hockey. Today, a couple of conversations featuring people that are just in love with the position. Vintage goalie is an apparel line. But Matt actually got a start in the goaltending side of things, designing equipment. What goes through somebody's mind when they're coming up with a pad graphic or that shape of a shell for a mask? Matt takes us through that process. But up first, we lean on the experience of Mike McKenna, and there is a whole lot there. Born just as the New York Islanders were finishing off their run of four straight Stanley Cups, McKenna comes out of the St. Louis minor hockey program. He is a decade and a half into his professional career, and you'd think there'd be a lot of stories from that. But wait, this season has served up something he's never been through before. On the heels of back-to-back appearances in the Calder Cup Finals, McKenna has played for the Belleville Senators all the way up to the Ottawa Vancouver, and Philadelphia National Hockey League organizations. And right now, he's on his bye week, but took some time to spend with In Goal Radio. Take you back to July 1st, free agency day in the National Hockey League and the uh, hockey world. And John Tavares signs with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and it takes everybody's attention away from Mike McKenna signing on with the Ottawa Senators organization. And little did we know that that would equal or at least challenge John Tavares for the storyline going into 2019 and the uh, midway point of this National Hockey League campaign. And Mike joins us on the podcast with Kevin Woodley and David Hutchinson. Darren Millard uh, with you. Uh, Mike, first of all, what's this season been like through signing with Ottawa, being in Belleville, called up to the NHL, and then spending time with Vancouver and Philadelphia as well? Uh, unexpected. Uh, can't say that I went into July 1st expecting to wear four jerseys by uh, midpoint of January, um, but I guess anything's possible, right? So I appreciate that intro. I mean, being mentioned in the same phrase as John Tavares, man, that's that's great. Um, I don't think many people were playing the cup parade in Ottawa when I signed, but, you know, I was <laughs> pretty excited about it, so... Uh, it's just been a, it's been an odd year to say the least. Um, but it's also been great to, you know, spend the most amount of time in the NHL that I have since you know, a decade ago. So, um, you know, it's, it's been really good in that way. How have you been able to balance the hockey side of things with the, uh, taking care of your family and your girls? Uh, it's been a tightrope. Um, yeah, cause truthfully, taking care of my girls really has been my wife's job and not mine, uh, which is tough because we've always been a, a tag team with this. You know, I, around the house, I've done a lot of cooking. I try to do everything else I can. And, um, I haven't been able to do that all season. Right. So I've been gone since October 29th. Um, and it, it's been a big, big challenge. And, you know, I'd be lying if I'd say there weren't tears shed on, on every, every aspect it seems like along the way. Um, but when you sign up to do this job, you know, it can happen. And so you just try to put your head down and find, find whatever positives you can find whatever timeline that's going to be the next time you see one another, you know? So, uh, we've just been doing our best with it. Does it ever affect your game? I don't think so. I mean, I, I just, when I go to the rink and I get on the ice, that's kind of my happy place. And that's where, I don't think about family when I'm trying to stop the puck. Right. Um, but you know, I think there is something to be said though, for being in your happiest place and playing your best. I know in the past for me, that's always been the case that my, my happiest years have been when I've played my best at the same time. So, um, you have to try to find happy in any situation you're in, even if you're not together with your family, you've got to try to find a way to, to keep it fresh and to try to, you know, find smiles and little things along the way to keep you going. So let's bring you present day. Uh, you're on a bye week currently with the Philadelphia Flyers. And wh- where are you? Like, what's what's happened and what do you do during this bye week? 
I'll give you the good story on this one yesterday. Uh, started off the day in Montreal. Uh, we finished up our last game in Montreal. We won um, one, I guess, what, Saturday night. So yesterday I woke up, I hopped the train from Montreal to Ottawa to retrieve my car, which had been sitting in the security parking lot of the Canadian Tire Center for a little over two weeks. And my worst fears were true that my battery was dead. My car was snowed in and I had a flat tire to boot. So, uh, the flat tire was the big surprise. Um, so I had to back that sucker right into the bay of the, behind the arena, get out the air compressor, change a tire, try to fill it up. Long story short, I ended up at Canadian tire and the fine folks there, $350 later and a new battery and tires fixed got me on the road within a couple hours. So, um, Hopefully they didn't sabotage my car being a former Senator player and leaving it, but I think they, I think they took some pity on me. Um, so yeah, hit the road, drove to Belleville, uh, again, where my family's been. And that's about a two and a half hour drive. And like the roads weren't great yesterday, pretty big snowstorm, but thankfully they, uh, you know, they weren't terrible. So I got here last night and now it's time to take five days with family and forget about hockey for a while. The uh, glamour of the NHL, eh, Mike? It's all just, you know, luxury hotels and first-class flights. I mean, some of, the, some of the boys are in the Bahamas and Jamaica, so, yeah, I guess it is for some, but, like, I mean, that's just the way it works, though, right? When you have a family and kids, like, all I want to do is see my family. That's all I want to do. I mean, yeah, it'd be nice to be on a beach sipping a Mai Tai or something, but I, I just want hugs for my girls at, at this point, you know? And so like we'd planned to go to, we were going to do a trip to great wolf lodge and, and enjoy that. Like we did last year in Dallas over all-star break, which was really cool. But when you, when you've been away for as long as I have, you don't want to chase your tail and be traveling around, especially with kids that are two kids under six that, you know, you stick them in a car and, and they could go bonkers. Right. And, and no matter how good the things are on their iPads, it's, it may not be worth it. Walk us through some of the logistics, Mike, because we've seen, you know, I think people assume that you guys get heads up or you know what's coming or you know where you're going. I was, I got a text message the other day from, from, from an NHL player saying, hey, do you want a scoop? Uh, this guy just got traded. And I'm like, how the hell do you know this? He's like, oh, I'm, I'm playing Fortnite with him and he just got traded. By the time that second text came in, it was official. Like literally a minute and a half of notice before it goes public that you've been traded. How did you find some of these things out? Because I think a lot of people assume you're more in on the loop than you, you end up being often. Well, like, I'll give you a great example. Like the, the initial trade when I went from Ottawa to Vancouver, I was totally blindsided by it because there hadn't been you know, there was no talk of that at all. We weren't close to trade deadline. I mean, I, I felt like I'd done everything that I could, you know, and in doing so, it probably kept me in Ottawa, right? They didn't have to go surgeon earlier. And so, um, I'd been pretty happy with how things were going. And then I just got like, like I say, just blindsided. Like I took morning skate and I'm eating lunch in the players lounge in Ottawa. And I get called in with, you know, my goalie coach, Pierre Grew calls me into the office with the assistant GM, uh, Peter McTavish. And yeah, you've been traded. Okay. Uh, to Vancouver, uh, across the hallway. <laughs> so, uh, it just was, it was surreal, you know, and, uh, five hours later I was dressing for another team, but you know, for us, it was really tough because my family had just driven in that the day before and we were going to have six days in a hotel together. And, um, so I had to pack up a whole hotel room that we basically moved into. And man, if I, if I'd had to play that game, man, I don't know how that had gone. Cause I had no rest. I'd had all the emotional aspect of it and trying to pack things up. And, um, it was surreal. And then next night go to Montreal and back up another game. And yeah, you just, you just never know with this stuff. And then like, another, you know, two days later, I'm having coffee with Ian Clark and we're talking about the future with Vancouver and stuff. And then claimed what you know <laughs> clarky come on man stop messing with me here like no philly i'm like no okay now i really know you're messing with me because i didn't know they'd had another injury problem at all right they weren't even on my radar of a team that could have possibly claimed me and then you know lo and behold there were actually two teams that put a claim and i find out later but uh yeah get on another plane and off you go so just been living out of a suitcase and a and a little bag for you know for an awful long time here one question we get from a lot of people is what's going on behind the scenes when you're traded. You've given us a really interesting glimpse, but it's probably a very different one. Not often you get traded to the team across the hallway. 
Um, what's happening behind the scenes if you're on the road and you're you're moved to another team? Um, what about all your stuff that's left behind in another city in a, in a rental apartment or a home that you own? How does it get to where you're going on the road or to where your new home is? How your family looked after? Uh, who, who's got to pay for all of that? Um, what's it like? An NHL transaction, they've got to take care of all that stuff. Um, like, but I was already on recall to Ottawa. Um, but I hadn't been, I'd been in a hotel for 60 days, but hadn't been given a housing letter. Um, which is a whole nother story, but in any case, so I'd been in a hotel. And so I basically was, had been on the road for two months anyway. And my initial recall, I was on the American league team. So, um, for me, it wasn't terribly difficult to go to another club. Um, you know, and I just sent my family back to Belleville where they'd been because that's my daughter's in school. So we can't keep moving her all around without knowing exactly where we're going to be. Um, and even now it's, it's still, you know, somewhat in flux, right. Until you actually get a housing letter and know you're going to be somewhere. So, um, thankfully though, there's a lot of protections EBA that have been outlined by the NHLPA that, that take care of this stuff. You know, if you have to your family, if you have to break leases, uh, those things are pretty much accounted for. Um, if it's an AHL transaction, you still have protection. They're not nearly as good as they are with the NHL. Um, but I'll give you a great example. I mean, if you get traded in the American league, let's say, um, two months of your rent up to 2,100 bucks is covered by the team that you're going to. So at least there's a little bit of protection, but you know, a lot of times stuff players end up losing money on trades. Like there's no way around it. You're, you've got costs involved in this and that's, that's kind of the tough part of it too, because you, you take into the family account of it. Then you take into the, you know, you think you've done things right. And you know, your question is, what did I do wrong? And no, no, you were great. You did everything right. Well, I mean, that's fine. But when you're losing five, 10 grand or whatever out the door, it's, it's really a kick in the pants sometimes, you know? So is it harder to deal with now that you're mid thirties than it was when you were mid twenties? Yeah, no question. I mean, when I was mid twenties, I had, I mean, the thing was, like, I had, this is only the second time I've been traded and traded is a whole different ball game than just being called up and sent down. And when you go up and down with teams, generally you, especially for someone like me who's fallen into a number three role as a goaltender, you usually have a sunset date on things. You know, when they're going to end, you know, this player's out a week, he's out a month, he's out however amount of time. And you can kind of plan for that to a certain extent. And obviously things can always change. Um, but this one this year was really interesting. It was open-ended uh, with Mike Condon and it just kept going. And then it just, you know, progressed to what it's been. So being traded though. Yeah. Is it's a whole different ball game with it. And it's just, it's hard to, it's hard to be prepared for that anyway, right? When it just comes up on you. And, you know, it's just, uh, as I was told repeatedly, it's, it's a business. So uh, it is a business and uh, kind of get used to it, but I guess. <laughs> We're going to get into the hockey side of things and the gear and, uh, and everything that involves being a goaltender. And, and your story is fascinating because you're, you're so much like us. But uh, just, just on the side of, of keeping track of things, how much do you, um, follow what's going on around the national hockey league or the American hockey league to, to try and have some kind of heads up, uh, yourself to, to know what's happening and where you might end up. I'm pretty aware of it. I mean, I don't sit down and watch you know, NHL network every moment of the day or, or really watch a lot of hockey, but I'm pretty in tune to all like, let's say transactions and things like that. And so I mean, I think to me that's important because you kind of need to have a head, heads up just on the lay of the land, what's going on with teams, um, you know, and for instance, with me going on waivers, you know, who you might potentially be going to or, you know, even around the time I got traded, thinking about, you know, what teams may be looking for somebody like you just you kind of have to have your a certain sense of what's going on. So, you know, if something does happen and be aware of it, you know, and, and then when you walk into a scenario, kind of have an idea of what's been going on with that team, what to expect, who you can lean on. I'd imagine that's kind of like free agency for you too, right? You got to look at depth charts and what's going on. But to switch back, the other part of changing all these teams over these years to me is goalie coaches. You've had so many different voices at times within the same organization, within the same year from the NHL to the AHL. Can you, some of the highlights, I mean, Alaire, 
Corn, Clark. I mean, to me, those are the first three that should go in the Hall of Fame. What are some of the highlights for goalie coaches over the years? And how do you manage that? How do you manage your game when there's so many different voices maybe bringing in things that, hey, try this, try that? Oh, Kevin, that's an amazing point. And it's something that I've been incredibly fortunate with that. I mean, I could make a list of 20 goalie coaches and I've had, I've hit really, like you say, all the big names in this. And like you said, from front, Mitch Korn really set me down the right path in the first place. And from there on forward, all the other guys I've worked with, Alaire, Clark, I, I mean, I could just keep going with this. I worked with Shaq Karan, Chris Terreri, Rick Wamsley, Cap Carey. Uh, I mean, just, there's been so many Pierre grew has been really important to me, David Alexander. I mean, now I've got Kim Dillabaugh. I've got, I've had Alfie Michaud, just, I, just a massive amount. And I'm going to forget people doing this. And I feel bad about that. Um, but I think that what it's done is it's allowed me to see so many different perspectives of the position that it's take, it's let me develop my game within those parameters and really find what works best for me. And I didn't mention Jim Bedard. I have to mention Jim Bedard because we had an unbelievable year last year uh, going to the Calder Cup finals with with Texas. And um, but Mitch is really the person who set me down the right path. When Nashville drafted me, the first thing Mitch did was sit me down and he goes, Mike, you're a big man, but you can't skate. And <laughs> so I'm first off like, guys, I'm six two, one ninety, 190, which now is. I might even be below the average in the NHL. So when I was drafted in 2002, when half these kids were just being born that are coming in the league, it seems like, but when I was drafted, I was a big guy who could handle the puck and now everybody can handle the puck and I'm average size. So I've had to keep improving everything else. Right. So uh, Mitch sent me to a guy named Chris Economo who has worked behind the scenes with a lot of people uh, and has kind of gone under the radar with it. You know, along the way, myself, Ty Conklin, uh, he's worked with Montoya Turco, Jordan Siglet, and I trained together with them. We were training mates for years and now uh, Phoenix Copley and Parker Milner and other guys go to econ and uh, he's based out of Philadelphia and between Mitch and econ, that really is what kind of gave me the foundation. And then moving forward, incorporating things from other guys along the way, uh, footwork with a layer post work with Clark, you know, on down the list of things. As you said, different voices. I think when you get older, you probably trust what your game is. Like you're able to sort of know, I would imagine it's easier to know what your foundation is as different guys tried to add different pieces. Was it harder earlier on? I've I've had guys that get run around a little bit to the point where they're changing things to keep the goalie coach happy without being sure that it's the right thing for their game. What kind of a challenge is that, especially as a younger goalie? Yeah, I mean, I think now, I mean, people know what they're getting with me. It's pretty, my, my game's pretty well established, right? And so... there's always tweaks and modifications and I'm constantly searching for that feedback. And it doesn't matter whether I've been working with a guy for a week, like I have Kim Dillabaugh now, or if I'd been with Pierre grew for over a year, a year and a half that we'd work together. I want that feedback. I want to know what I can do different or tweak or improve. Um, but when you're young, yeah, that you're very much in the goalie coach's hands, especially you see this with guys who come into an organization off an entry level contract and they're, they're very much molded by the person they're working with. And I can see, I can really only think of one time that I ran into somebody who tried to change my game in a way that may not have been beneficial to me. And I went along with it. I fought through it. I I did. I tried not to be competitive. I tried to learn from what I was doing. Um, but then again, I think what I was doing there, it probably took me another year or two to truly become comfortable with my game again and play the way that I felt was best for what I brought to the table as a, as an athlete. Having been through that with, with so many people, uh, we're talking about an adult here. What, what would you say to a, to a youngster who's facing similar situations, a kid who might be 10, 12, 14 years old. And, and, uh, and he's dealing with, uh, maybe a team goalie coach and a private goalie coach. Uh, gosh, I've even heard of private goalie coaches who tell kids you're only allowed to work with me and don't you dare go see anybody else. Uh, What advice do you have for youngsters dealing with all this? It's a knife fight out there, isn't it? I mean, it's sad to me that it's become that because you look at how well like Europe does things where they have goalie coaching throughout the system and you don't have to worry about territorial stuff. Whereas in North America, it's a, it's a capitalistic free for all. Um, But that's just reality. Um, I, I think the best advice I can give for somebody is that, 
Uh, it kind of goes back to what Mitch and I would talk about Mitch Cord. And at one point I remember Mitch to saying to me, Mike, you can't fight city hall. And, <laughs> and he was, I mean, he's dead on and he's right. I mean, whoever you're working with essentially is your boss. And if you want to last in this game, you got to learn how to work for people. And you got to learn that even if you don't agree with everything they're doing, if you even don't agree with their methods, there's something that they're teaching that you can take from that and you can learn and you can mold and, and use it the way you can. Um, and you've got to find that and you've got to find a way to be happy with one another and work together and try to come to conclusions. Let's switch it over to gear here real quick, Mike. Now, I think Hutch was telling us earlier, you wrote an article for us on Ingle that sort of walked us through your whole setup. It was one of the earliest pieces we got contributions from a pro, and I believe it's still one of the all-time most read articles. And when I say the history of Ingle, that's now 10 years and what, Hutch? How many like million hits? And yours is still number one all-time. So fascination with gear, I think, drives a lot of us to the position, but being meticulous with it as a pro and i've seen both sides of it especially kids nowadays that sometimes don't even look like or seem like they know why they wear certain things like how important is it to have your setup dialed in it's essential for me i mean those are my tools of the trade and i think if you look at that article how much i've changed my gear even since then you know I, i can't remember whether that was 2010 or 2011 whenever it was my gear has changed a whole lot um, you know, not little, like my, my pants are pretty much the same. Um, you know, glove and blocker haven't changed a lot, but especially the pads, going to a two S pad with Bauer, which at the time when it came out was an, a one S and it was so futuristic and different. And I've always been somebody though, that's willing to try things that are innovative right out of the box. Like I want the lightest thing I can get the most innovative. I'll try it. If I don't like it, that's one thing. Um, but like when I got the one S pads and everything was Velcro and it fit tight to my leg and it was completely foreign. I remember the first time I wore it, I went, well, this, this feels different. Uh, but I can see the potential benefits and I knew that I was going to probably need at least a week or two to kind of figure it out. But I, I could see why I could see why this was going to be better. So I went for it and I'm really in tune with stuff. Like I'll, I'll look at other people's gear and I'll look at it and say, why on earth is this guy doing this? You know? And it like, like good instances, if it's my goalie partner, I'll, and especially being an older guy, it, once I get comfortable with him after a while, I'll just, I'll ask him little questions like, well, why are you doing that? You know, well, why do you have this redundant strap? And why do you have a your skate that's doing nothing other than potentially allowing you to step on it? You know, there there's, all these little things that I love to kind of needle the guys about. And then when I see little changes that they like, let's say they ditched a strap or they changed the way that they set something up. I'm, it feels like a little victory for me, you know, <laughs> cause I feel like I'm trying to like modernize it in some way, but, um, but you know, like I'll give you a great example of that. Like the way people wear masks, you'll see guys. And I, I talk to this about Gary Warwick who makes my masks all the time, how guys you'll see them looking almost through the chin of the helmet. Cause it doesn't fit them properly. And well, why are you doing that? Well, I don't know. I didn't think this is what they gave me in junior. I just, it's what I like. And no, it's not what you like. It's just what you've had and you feel comfortable and you haven't been willing to try something different and just get something that fits properly. You know, like your eyes should be looking through the holes of the cage, you know, not into a chin cup. And like Gary, Gary work was telling me he's get he gets chin cups that have been chewed on. I mean, first of all, that's gross. It's foam. Yeah. But second, it just shows that it doesn't fit you, you know? I, so, man, I, I know that gear is the reason why so many of us become goalies, but it's also mind-blowing that over time, some people lose that, and it's just, oh, just kind of give me whatever I can play. And um, I, I, th- I think that you can, you can exploit so many areas of your, of your game with your gear to improve it if you're just willing to experiment a little bit. Is there a storage locker somewhere, Mike, with about 75 pairs of gear from your career? Uh, no, just uh, jerseys. Jerseys, I have an entire storage. Ship. No, uh, I, that's that, that's not true. I've I've got so many jerseys at this point, though, that I've either had to buy or, or find that I, I am starting to wonder what to do and where to put them. But uh, I tend to get rid of my gear. Uh, I don't I've hung on to a couple sets. I've got my college power reactor five set. Um, that I paid tribute to last year with Dallas, which was really cool. Um, and there might be something coming down the line here a little bit, kind of insider Ooh, a info. Tease, a tease. 
Love it. Please, but uh, so that I kept one of those. I kept my first NHL set from Tampa Bay, um, and I have all my masks. But the rest of the gear, uh, what I end up doing with it usually is that I, I don't want to just sell the stuff. I get it for free anyway. The team pays for it, and to me, if I'm going to get rid of it. Um, I like to ask whoever I'm, I'm giving it to, to make a donation to an animal shelter that we got our dog from. Um, I think it's a good way to do things. It's, I wouldn't feel right taking the money myself, but then again, it does, I, it does have value. So it's a win-win for me if we can, you know, funnel some money into a good place with that. And the dog's name of course is Bauer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So thankfully Bauer's been good to me. The dog's been good to me. Um, but that, that dog's seen a lot, man. He's put some miles on and he's been all over North America. He was, you know, it's like minus 30 outside today. The poor guy's arthritic. So he's, he's, he's getting up there, but Texas was good for him last year in his joints. I'm so, I'm so old though. Uh, my, my neighbor's dog at the cottage is named Cooper. So well, I'm, I wore Cooper pads guys. Like I'm, I'm a relic enough that I know those days where I had Cooper and Coho and all the, all the old names. I was going to say, when we talk gear with you, Mike, we can really talk. I mean, I don't know if you heard last week's, we had Sonia DiBiase and she went back to like the era of deer hair and stuffing pads and walked us through how that changed. We can almost have not quite the same conversation, but like you have seen massive changes. We talked during uh, when Bauer came out with the pads about like just having fun with those hot rebounds and how that's changed the game. And I've, you know, I can't remember who was in here the other day. It was it was Linus Altmark, um, how that's why he switched because he couldn't believe how hot these rebounds were. And to him, that was an advantage. What's the biggest innovation you've seen? Maybe not throughout your career because it's a long time, but last couple of years or just overall, what's the biggest change in equipment? Oh, oh man, there's been so many monumental shifts, uh, especially for somebody that's from my era. Like I did start out with deer hair pads and like my dad and I would carve my pads apart to try to make them better. Taking padding out, moving it around, uh, you know, just moving straps. We were really creative with stuff to try to get it to work. And now you can get it all customized from the factory to the way you like it, uh, which helps. But I don't know. I mean, pads have changed. They've gotten so much lighter, but I think first and foremost, when the pads started to rotate properly on your leg, and so you didn't have to wear them so loose that they were falling off like Patty Laleem used to, and they were, you know, mm-hmm. drooping to the, the ice. Um, now you can wear them pretty tight to your leg with the elastic strapping and they still rotate into the butterfly. So that functionally is probably the biggest change that's allowed us to play different with the knee stacks. You know, we can slide on our knees, power push, do everything so different than we used to. Um, but I think truly, I, in terms of technical innovation, I think the skates have just been night and day from when we started. And you look at what all the companies are doing now with, it looks weird to see a cowling now. And three years ago, everybody still had cowlings. You know, that's that's rapid. That's a really quick change. Um, and so that's they're stiffer, they're more responsive, they're better attack angle. It just checks all those boxes. And I think that's allowed us to become so much more mobile, not just on our feet, but on our knees, the way we power push, the way we integrate with our posts. Um, So from a tech standpoint, I think that, and then from a functional standpoint, really just the way the pads have, have been able to seal the ice over the years has changed. Can you talk about your dad and just his influence on you? It sounds like he was really involved. And nowadays, there's it's 50 50 where the parents will even let their kids play goals. So I'm just curious about that relationship. Oh man, my dad's, my dad's the greatest. And I'll tell you what the best part is that he's 68 going on 69. I'm 35. And in the summer we can play on a line together. I play forward with him. Yeah. And it's, it's the, it's the greatest thing in the world for me to be able to play hockey with my dad. And, um, he's also the most humble guy I ever known. Like he would come to the rink for my games and he'd get a pack of M and M's and he'd go hang out in the corner as far away from the rest of the parents as he possibly could. And then we would drive home and maybe we'd talk about the game. Maybe not just, he was happy that I was having. And that's all that mattered to me. And, uh, my grandpa was really, really important with this too. You know, he was a founding father of hockey in St. Louis where I came from and being in the first wave of guys out of St. Louis, the NHL, if you'd told my grandpa in the fifties, when he pretty much started hockey with about a dozen other guys there that we'd had two dozen NHL players that Brandon Bowling had lifted the Stanley cup, man, he'd be, you know? And so my dad was on the first youth hockey team in St. Louis. 
11 years old Steinberg ice rink, 1961. Got a picture of it floating on my Twitter page right now. Um, he was really important and he wasn't a goaltender. He played, played forward, played defense. But I think over the years, like what helped him help me the most is that my dad was such a tinkerer and he was an auto racer. And so you're always looking for an advantage. You're looking for anything that you can find, uh, to beat the competition. And to me, that was gear. I was always looking for something I could have better or, or make myself bigger. And my, my dad molded up Kevlar pieces and laid Kevlar to make pieces to add onto my arm and chest in college. So I could look like the Michelin man out there, you know, like, and nobody's policing this stuff in college. You're never getting checked for size there. So we're like, let's go for it. And so we did, I came home from break one year and we started laying up Kevlar, you know, putting padding on it. And I looked a lot bigger when I showed up. So it worked obviously, but, um, I think that's been the best, the the biggest influence on me is just being willing to try new things and, and try to always improve your craft. Your girls, if they, uh, if you had to pick one sport for them, would they be driving a race car or playing goal? I wouldn't want to, I mean, racing's really cool, but it's a, it's massively expensive sport. I mean, people think hockey's expensive. You know, if you want to go racing and make it, I mean, you got to raise a budget to, if you want to even do double a level racing, which is pro Mazda in the U S I mean, you got to have a three quarter of a million dollar budget. Go good luck trying to find that. Right. You know? So, um, I don't know if my girls want to play hockey, that's fantastic. And it, it, if they want to be goalies, I'm cool with it. But my wife right now considers that the ultimate betrayal because she's had to deal with me for so long doing (laughs) so. Um, we'll see how that goes, but really we're going to support them no matter what they want to do. And, it would be really cool. I have two daughters. Uh, I don't have a son and, and whatever my daughters want to do, I'm, I'm all in. I just, I just like seeing them smile and have fun. What about you, Mike? What's, what's, uh, when, when not saying now I'm saying when, when that time comes that, that the next year is me out the door. Well, and, hey, we, we just, we did, like, I've, I've thought of four different jobs that you could do since we've had this conversation. I think gear consultant for these kids who don't know how to set up their equipment would be a start. What do, what do you, what do you think though? Like, what is the next step? I mean, you could be a, like, we've seen your cooking. Uh, we've seen, like, you could be a chef. You could be in the industry as a goalie coach. You could be like so many different things you could do. What, like, do you want to stay in the game? What's the plan? I think what you've said has kind of been my problem almost too, is that I don't have a clear cut path. And if you'd have told me 10 or asked me 10 years ago, what I was going to do when I was done, I could have told you immediately. Cause it was, I would have only been four years out of school. I have an economics degree. I interned for three years with what's now, you know, a guy that works with Raymond James with investments. And I could have easily done that. And I still could do that. So that's kind of my ultimate fallback is that I've got a couple of things that I've maintained some closeness to over the years. Um, but really, I mean, after 14 years in the game and however much longer it'll be, is it, do I really want to walk away, throw, throw that all out the window and start new? Um, part of that's really appealing to me because I could just live in one place and be a normal human being and do everything else. But man, I still love this sport, you know, and it's, it, it almost feels like it, I should at least explore every avenue with it, you know, and I've always felt a calling to broadcasting. I, I just, I felt a kinship with those guys right away because they're such curious people that enjoy conversation that like to bring the stars out of the game and, and tell their story. And, and especially the guys that are really positive and do it in a nice way. Um, that would be the ultimate for me, really. If I could choose anything, I'd love to do that. Um, but it's hard to get those jobs. There's not many of them and you've got to be good at it. And I don't have a whole lot of training with it other than screwing around, trying to interview people and, um, doing a podcast for St. Lawrence university a St. Lawrence hockey podcast. I've started doing that this year and I'll probably be launching my own one in the spring eventually. But, um, I don't know if I was going to be a goalie coach, it would have to be the perfect scenario because I don't really see myself enjoying that as much as other things. But then again, if it was the right team, the right setup, it's something I would consider. Um, and it's kind of the same way with management. I, I think I'd be good at that. But yet again, you see the drawbacks to it too. It's, it's a tough thing to do. I mean, you really have to be secretive and clandestine and I'm, I don't know, man, I've been, I'll be honest with you. I've been bit a few times and I'm not sure that I could be the guy doing the biting, you know what I mean? So, um, we'll see. I, I truly don't know, but I'm, 
I, I hope when the time comes, it may be a clear path emerges kind of quickly. And if it doesn't, maybe I'll take a couple of months off and just be a dad for a little bit. Nothing wrong with that. Before we let you go, you had uh, a partnership with Craig Anderson and then a partnership with Carter Hart. The differences between managing those two relationships back to back seamlessly. Well, I mean, two very different people in life, in the way they play, all that stuff. And, um, you know, with Craig, it was, you know, Craig's a clear cut number one goaltender in this league. He's established. He's, he's somebody who's done it for so long. And, you know, we've kind of come up, I mean, I've been, obviously my career has been very different, but we're still kind of the same era, right? He's 37, I'm 35. Uh, we have a lot of things in common. We both could still make a skate save if we wanted to. Uh, we both can do pad stack jammer him probably more effectively than me. Uh, but we had those things in common. We also had a racing background. My dad raced cars, his dad raced cars. So we had a lot of stuff to talk about that wasn't hockey, which was great. And we're both guys that know how to manage the game enough now that we can come in in between periods and, and just totally let the game go for a little while. Uh, whereas Carter, I mean, just a massively talented young professional. I mean, this kid is, he's a real deal and total package. Great kid. Uh, I've only known him for two weeks, you know, but you can just tell these things right away. He's so meticulous in how he prepares for things. Um, but you also have to manage it differently. Like he's very, uh, very serious during the game. I can tell that he has his routines and it's nothing that I would ever want to step on. And so with someone like him, you just, you generally will let them come to you if they have something that they'd want to talk about, you know, versus if Craig came to the bench, I could, I could make fun of somebody falling at the other end and we could laugh about it mid game and it wouldn't phase them, you know, and I would never do that with Carter or somebody else who approaches the game very differently and um, is really finding their own path right now. We appreciate your time. Uh, I know you're on the five day break, and you've uh, you've been squeezed with the uh, the family experiences and the exposure. And we uh, we thank them as well as Rachel and the comments that she shared. Uh, tell her to continue to do that because it's uh, it's something that uh, gives everybody a look behind the uh, the the curtain. But uh, appreciate it, and good luck the rest of this year. I will. I, I was a blast having me on, and uh, yeah, I mean, I know my we've. Let's face it. I mean, we've been through a decent amount this year and we realize how fortunate we are with everything and how in the grand scheme of things, it pales in comparison to what a lot of people face. Um, but it is important for people to understand that it's, you know, it's not all bunnies and rainbows all the time. And it's not just because you get paid a lot that can make you happy. And, you know, look around the league with, you know, guys that are, that have been struggling at times. Um, happiness is important no matter what you're what your bank account looks like. And that's first and foremost in life. And people have to remember that we're all human too. And um, we're just doing the best job that we can. So thanks for having me guys. Thanks Mike. Thanks for everything over the years. Priorities and passion. Mike has both. You don't have to be somebody that goes out and scrapes a crease before the start of every period to really admire what he's going through and how he's handled it. Simply put, as a father, as a husband, as a teammate, and of course, as a goaltender, he has everything lined up perfectly. Look, he's in his mid-30s, and he's still playing this game, and he's excelling, having gone to the championship series of the American Hockey League the last two years. And he's also a very good follow on Twitter, at Mike McKenna 56 for the entertainment value. Now to a conversation that Mike himself is excited about. You ever wonder what goes into designing your equipment? I'm not talking about the foams, the composites, the shape of a mask, but rather the graphics, what the shooter looks at, or maybe more importantly, what makes you want to wear a certain line. We dive into that, plus what Matt from Vintage Goalie is doing now on the apparel side of things here on In Goal Radio. In Gold Radio takes you around the world of hockey and inside the crease, talking about goal equipment, goaltending instruction, goaltending styles, pros, and amateurs, and of course, the style of goaltenders. That can mean a whole bunch of different things, including what we wear. The first two professional goaltenders that In Gold Radio has spoken with in this podcast have both been modeling vintage goalie gear. And here's Matt from Vintage uh, to join. 
Darren Millard, Kevin Woodley, and David Hutchinson. And uh, just give us your your background, Matt. Congratulations on on the vintage line, and uh, just give us an idea of of where this whole thing came from. Sure. Thanks for having me on, guys. Um, it, it goes back to 2007. Uh, when I landed my ultimate dream job, uh, my title was goalie developer, and that was at iTech. And um, while I was there, I was uh, developing um, uh, the, the goalie equipment line. So I was I was strictly on uh, the protective, so chest pad pants, um, masks, and block catch and pads. And um, it was great because iTech, being a small company, uh, you get to wear a lot of hats. So I got to. Uh, touch a lot of different uh, parts of the products. Uh, I spent a lot of time on the masks, uh, the designs specifically. iTech prided themselves on having a a large variety of uh, mask designs. So I designed a lot of those, the graphics. Um, I did a lot of the cosmetic design, uh, so the pad graphics uh, for iTech at the time. And um, and then uh, in 2009, a couple years later, uh, I, I worked for uh, for Nike Bauer, and uh, that was a, a great opportunity as well. And, and what was great about Nike Bauer is they had a um, uh, an R and D facility up in Saint Jerome, and and for a, a good two two and a half years there, I spent uh, a majority of my time uh, developing uh, the goalie masks. So uh, the Enemy Three and the Enemy Five were were my projects. I was one of the lead developers on those. So involved right with the, the liners, the shell, cage, and obviously uh, working on the graphic designs. Um, uh, and one little uh, plug there, my buddy Dave, Dave Gunnarsson, you guys know him as Dave Art, uh, he, he's done a lot of work for, for Bauer in the past, and that's how I got to, to know him as well. So hold on, hold on. iTech 2007, like are we talking X-Wing here? Yes, sir. Yeah, when I was there, X-Wing was... Uh, X-Wing was huge. It just, uh, Prodigy 2 was there, and uh, when I started, uh, the RX series had just uh, had just launched. Okay, now the X-Wing, you got to fit like the graphic. What's the thought there? Because that thing was popular at the time. That was huge. It was. It was. I can't take any uh, credit for that pad graphic. That was already baked by the time I got there. Uh, but absolutely, there are a number of guys in, in, that, uh, in that line. Uh, I know uh, Martin Gerber was... Uh, uh, was it was a big X-wing guy, and uh, there was there was a few others for sure. And Gerber also uh, an enemy guy, if I'm not mistaken. Were you behind the Darth Vader mask? Uh, no, but I do. Uh, I did work with Dave uh, Gunnarsson on that one, and that was a ton of fun. I remember, uh, you know, there was a bit of uh, you know hype around it. We we were wanting to create some buzz, and uh, and that definitely got a lot of attention. That was a lot of fun. I'm curious uh, when when it comes to uh, to the design of the goal pad, and we had Sonia DiBiase last week uh, discussing the the contents of the inside of the pad. You're talking what we see in the graphic design, and one thing that that keeps coming up over and over is color scheme. What do you know about the the optics about what a shooter wants to look at, and how does that play into a, a pad design and the the face that you're looking at? Sure. Great question. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of theories out there. Um, uh, some people are convinced that, that absolutely the, the optics do uh, play into it. Um, I personally don't believe it. Uh, I personally think a lot of it comes down to, um, I mean, personal, personal preference, visual appeal, but in, but in terms of whether the pad is all white or all dark, um, or if, if the, the graphic is mesmerizing, uh, I personally don't don't really buy into that theory. So you've been hanging out with Mike McKenna then recently? <laughs> yes, sure. Yeah, Mike's a real good guy. You know, I was gonna say he likes that theory too. He doesn't believe that the all dark is a bad thing. It sounds like you're on the same page there. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. So, what do you think of when you design the front of a goal pad? When you're trying to come up with a graphic. Being a graphic designer, uh, a lot of it is balance. You know, I, I've seen some designs in the past where the graphic maybe comes across as top heavy. Uh, you know, I've seen designs where a lot of the action is at the bottom near the boot. Um, it, so for, for me personally, it's all about having the right, you know, graphics, the right designs in the right places and that just create that visual appeal. Um, I mean, Brian's does a real nice job of, um, of, of certain highlights. Like they'll have 
a, a number of zones. And that's the other thing, too. Zones really play into it. You can really, you know, get creative, get custom. Everybody's set looks a little bit different from one another. And, and, uh, and Brian's, just being one example, uh, does a good job of that. I get uh, scared when I start throwing out uh, brands or lines of gear with uh, with Woodley and Hutch because they're the the geniuses. They're my Yodas uh, when it comes to this stuff. But uh, but when you mentioned Bauer and iTech, was that the nine sixty one? Is that where? Okay, because that was my first favorite mold. Yeah, the the nine sixty, um, the the nine sixty was uh, was a iTech's Cadillac, and still today is is uh, quite popular for sure. What went into that? What makes that one the Cadillac? I, I think it's because the. I mean, at the time, you know, it was it was so popular in the league. I mean, there were so many guys wearing it, and uh, you know, it's it's a it's a clean design. It's it's not bulky. It's 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 streamlined. You know, it's got the right amount of vent holes. I mean, there's there's a lot of things. Uh, you know, and and for a lot of people, you know, you know, goalies like we all kind of have our own thing, and and uh, but that one sort of checked a lot of the boxes uh, in my mind now what about fit because that's the one thing i would say as much as the 960 and 961 were the early cadillacs and everyone jumped on them i think there was a we went for a run there where guys bought them but they didn't necessarily fit them ironically enough mckenna talks about it in this issue of the podcast where um sometimes you wear a mask because you think it's it's it is the best one but if it doesn't fit you properly that's an issue so what kind of issues how did you solve them with fit at the pro level and i know this is since you probably passed on but i got to give all the companies credit bauer ccm um expanding the fit line since the original 960 and 961 so it's not one size fit all uh, at retail level to me has been a massive improvement for sight lines and safety of goaltenders everywhere yeah, absolutely. I um, is this uh, is this Kevin? Yep. Okay, Kevin. Uh, yeah, I was uh, I was fortunate when I worked on the the enemy three and enemy five. So that was more of the, at the retail level. That that line. Um, what was nice about it is it took the same look and feel as the uh, as the nine sixty. Um, but that one there, we spent a ton of time getting the fit right. I mean, I can remember having a goalie bag full of enemy threes with different types of foams and, and just going to arenas and, and having kids try these things on and uh, making sure you get the fit right. And I'll tell you, um, when you do that enough times and you fit enough people, uh, you'll, you'll cross off a lot of, uh, uh, discrepancies and, and you'll get it pretty close. So for me, it was just, you know, making sure you spent the right amount of time with the right amount of people and the right amount of foams to get it right. Okay, so now we're into an era where at retail, there are different options. There are different sizes. There are different foams. There are different shells. There are different shapes. As a guy who's been there in that process, fitting different goalies, what should parents be looking for or young goaltenders be looking for when they walk into the store? Like what determines a good fitting mask? Because if there's one thing I've learned talking to mask makers over the years, fit is paramount to safety. So what do you look for when you slap that thing on your head or you slap it on your kid's head in the store that quantifies or qualifies a good fit? Sure. Well, a lot of it comes down to, um, uh, I mean, the, the, the strapping system. So uh, different manufacturers, I can't speak for all of them, and I've been out of it for a while, but uh, the moment you put the mask on, if, if it starts to be too, you know, too front heavy, it's going to fall. you you know, down the forehead. You got to go up, and make sure that all your straps are in the right place. The back plate's important too. The back plate, you know, you can't have too much gap around the perimeter of, of the back plate. If so, you got to tighten that thing up, or it's just maybe not the right fit. Maybe the the the, the person's head is too large. Uh, so yeah, your sight lines, the forehead has to be just coming across. Your, you know, your mid brow. Um, and, and then a lot of it is, is, is just comfort. Like if, if there's pain points, there's areas where it's just not comfortable. Those are sort of the obvious ones. But, but having that, that, the, the strapping system in properly, uh, the back plate's important, making sure it's all closed off right, and, um, and then just ultimately uh, uh, comfort and, and gaps. Like if there's big gaps, they have to be identified for sure. Foam as well. Uh, oh yeah, well the, the liner for sure, uh, and a, lo- a lot of these masks now come with sweatbands, so that plays a plays a part. But um, but yeah, foam is important for sure. It's uh, it's Hutch here, Matt, and I was I was just going to say we've we've been uh, been talking about the more modern 
feel of the game here uh, in terms of the gear and the design, but uh, you decided somewhere along the line to take it back a little and pay tribute to, to vintage goaltenders from the past. Uh, where's that interest from? Yeah, you know, I, I think a lot of it uh, comes from when I was a kid. I think, you know, probably you guys too, if you were to take a couple of minutes and talk about who that first goalie was uh, in the league that, that spoke to you. And, and and for me, it was, you know, the the mask, uh, you know, the, the, the fearless warrior. I mean, these guys were unstoppable. Nothing seemed to rattle them. And, uh, and you know, there's a few goalies that, because uh, I get asked a lot, who's my favorite goalie? And I, and I, I don't really have a favorite, but there are a lot who really, influenced me uh, at different times of my life. Uh, you know, I think of uh, Kelly Rudy, Grant Fuhr, um, I mean, uh, John Casey, Tim Shovelday. I mean, the list goes on. I'm, I'm 43, so uh, I remember the, the, the early 80s uh, through the 90s. And, um, and then, you know, I, I've just always, I guess, and not to sound dramatic, but I, you know, life goes, goes fast, and I find players come into the leagues, you know, we're talking goalies here and they retire and, and you don't hear from them anymore. You don't know where they are, what they're up to. And, and I think that's the shame. And, and I feel it's almost an obligation of mine to, to keep those stories alive and, and those images and the gear they wore, uh, some of their records. Um, and they weren't all cup winners. Uh, you know, when I was young, I was a big fan of a lot of the backups. I'd love to see the backup, uh, get the nod and get the win and, and, uh, and even maybe get the nod for the next game. So uh, for me, it's, it's, uh, I just want to keep those stories at the surface because unfortunately, a lot of these guys, when they leave the game, you don't hear much about them anymore. So you, you, built, a, you built a clothing line around your, your desire to pay tribute to the vintage guys of the past. And, uh, and, and it's really, I don't want to say it's an overnight success because it's probably a five or six year overnight success. And we're, we're seeing guys in the pros wearing it all the time. So, so how has that happened? Uh, how, how do you think it's exploded and how, how is it that you've been able to, to put your stuff in the hands of so many guys in the show? I, I think a lot of it's just be, be become, I, I, I've just, I've just been myself. You know what? I, I like to talk to people. Uh, I like to be real. I love to hear their stories. That to me is important. Uh, I love it when, when guys tag me, when they send me photos of their gear and they share stories from when they were a kid, you know, uh, like I didn't play when I was little, unfortunately, you know, four kids in the family, my parents both worked. We didn't have the money for that. Uh, so I was a late bloomer, but so when I see these guys sending me pictures from when they were young and, uh, like I get a real kick out of that. And so it's the, it's the human side of it, I guess is the best way to put it. That's what I enjoy the most. And, um, maybe just my background in design. I just, I really put my heart into it. Uh, my posts that I put up uh, on social media, I try to do the best I can with the time that I have. And, and, um, and as far as the pros go, uh, you know, they, they've been wonderful. I, I've never once asked any one of them to take a picture of themselves and post it. I, I don't believe in, in forcing that on, on anybody. If, if they want to wear it, great. Uh, but, uh, but that's up to them. And, and if they want to share it, I mean, I'm humbled by it. Every time I see that out there, I'm, I'm humbled. And, and, uh, and, and really, truthfully, I, it's sort of my way of just saying thanks, you know, thanks to them for, for what they've done to the league, you know, to the league and, and uh, to so many kids. They've been role models, et cetera. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I just, uh, I'm humbled by it. I'm trying to get the towel back and the backup goaltenders. That's a theme of this podcast. Can you come up with something for me on that? Yes, sir. I'm with you on that one. Absolutely. Man, I miss that. You know, I, I collect cards and a lot of the cards that I post, uh, man, there's so many great details in those old cards and that being one of them. Miss that. If I ever see a t-shirt of yours doing that, I'm going to buy 50 of them. I'm going to make, I'm going to make Hutch and, and, and Woodley pay for it though. Oh, there's, there's a few of them. I, I got some neat ideas coming out uh, this year, some new, new ones coming out and guys all the time are throwing their ideas at me for, for different themes. Uh, I, I got to do a toe save one. I'm sure there's, there's a buyer out there for that too. And the, the two pad stack seems to be, I think that's yeah. probably the one I sell the most of that one. Um, so that's been fun. Yeah. You have been hanging out with McKenna cause he's already delivered the toe up skate save and warmups to, uh, to appease a buddy. And he's going to be rolling out the, uh, he's rolling out the backup towel for us next time he's on the ice. Uh, we're working on having that on camera as well. And I got to say, 
you know, we've let you down a little bit here. We had Mike wearing your hat during our, our interview earlier and didn't take a screen cap. And when Roberto got into the car with me and we ended up doing the podcast last week, he was wearing a vintage goalie hoodie. And I'm kind of like you. I don't like to, hey, how's it going? Let me take a photo of you and put it on social media. Not really my style. Um, but now I feel like I've let you down because I didn't grab a picture of Roberto in that beautiful hoodie. It was a good look. Oh, man. Thank you very much. No, that's cool. How do people get a hold of you, Maddie? Uh, so probably the best way is, um, I mean, well, probably not email, usually social media. So whether it's okay. Twitter, Instagram, Twitter and Instagram are probably the fastest ways for me. And um, uh, email, not so much. What's the website? Oh, it's uh, vintagegoalie.ca. Perfect. The uh, sad part for you is that, or it's actually a good part for you, but uh, you're the youngest buck on this phone call, so vintage doesn't quite uh, doesn't quite answer it. Are you serious? I am. I had no idea. Oh, I, I got really you by a decade. I feel good today. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> it's uh, it's one of the great uh, aspects of the of what we're doing here is uh, just exploring the the entire world of goaltending and. Fashion and design are uh, two of your bailiwicks, and you, you did it from the equipment side, and now you're doing it uh, with closing our backs. Uh, and we appreciate uh, what you're doing for the entire goalie community. Thanks. Oh, it's my pleasure, and thanks for having me on, guys. And listen, if uh, if any one of you guys are in the Ottawa area, I expect you to come by, and we'll grab some wings. Boy, we are owning the market on the old guys. That, with all due respect, Mike McKenna and, and Matt and Roberto Luongo last week, but we we are we are just uh, going back to our our vintage eras. Uh, so Woodley, now that we've got the old guys taken care of and that crowd, give me a young guy that we can look forward to next week on In Goal Radio. You mean before I go run my Epsom salt bath to uh, yeah, exactly to, to ease my aching hips like an eighty year old man or a forty year old goaltender? Isn't that how this works? Yeah, you know, I got to tell you, we do have uh, we got a beauty coming up next week. Um, Thatcher Demko, the Vancouver Canucks, sort of a loose transition from Roberto Luongo, the greatest Canuck goalie of all time, to a guy who a lot of people think might be the next great one for the Vancouver Canucks. And I got to be honest, to me, the chance to talk to Thatcher for all of us is. This isn't just about, you know, a really good young goaltender. This is about a kid who shares the passion for the position that that kind of has brought us all together. Um, the first time I talked to him after he'd been drafted, he talked to me about uh, a diary that he kept, sort of a little black book for lack of a better term. He would watch NHL games on Game Center and he would make notes on other goaltenders, how they played certain situations, and then try those things to see if they fit into his game. So he's from San Diego. He worked goalie coaches all over the country when he used to travel for rep tournaments. Uh, he's told me he's got a ton of good stories about sort of that upbringing and how it made him who he is today. Uh, the passion for the position, I think, will come through when we have a chance to talk to him. And uh, like I said, I'm just really looking forward to it because I think, like us, that passion runs deep. Thatcher Demko, seriously, this is a guy that just broke John Garrett's record for starting his Canucks career two and zero. Oh, because Cheech always has that. And, and, I know, I know. Cheech always said, "I, I, I own the record. I am tied with it for the uh, record with one and zero." So uh, he shattered that. That's uh, that's brilliant. And first off, I just gotta say, you two cannot claim anything vintage. I've got you both by a decade. I think I'm probably <laughs> the only one on this podcast who's ever worn an actual fiberglass mask in competition. And I consider myself better for not having done that. Uh, <laughs> Maybe that's why my what? memory is what it is. But no, I'm really looking forward to listening to Thatcher. Uh, we, got, we got to meet him the first time when he was at the Canucks Development Camp down at Shawnigan Lake. And uh, fantastic stories. And it's great to see that he's he's moved to, to where he is and he's going to be able to share it with our with our audience. And But speaking of Kevin's hips, uh, he's also had hip surgery too, hasn't he? Yeah, there's a guy that went from college and succeeding in college and unbelievable with zero degrees of internal rotation on one side of the hip. And, you know, probably a good example for a lot of the people, much like Eric Comrie, who had, you know, double hip surgery the year before his draft, that hip surgery is not the same as it used to be. This isn't a career ender. As a matter of fact, guys are having it preventatively now. So we can talk to Thatcher about that, about his experience recovering. And how about, you know, like a lot of young kids who get it almost like a boutique surgery, frankly, at younger ages down in the States, about how it sort of frees up that range of motion in the hips for the butterfly. That's yeah, the terrifying to think. Uh, 
That's terrifying to think about kids doing it in advance, though. That's something we'll have you to know, get into another time on the show. Yeah, but what's really terrifying is 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 hip replacement, uh, and that's what that's what I'm going to deal with, and that really is a career limiter. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> that will also will save for for another day. You know, when you, when you mentioned Demco watching on Game Center and copying things, that's another sign that I'm old. I'm like, really? He grew up watching Game Center, and that's where he was uh, was stealing the highlights and the uh, and the tips from. Whoa. Uh, I'm glad that uh, that I caught podcasting when I did it because it waited a couple of years and, and it would have passed me by. Uh, Woodley, Hutch, uh, another great episode, another uh, an hour of fun, and uh, look forward to next week with Thatcher. Perfect. I'm going to go practice my kick saves and two pad stacks, both of which precede me. <laughs> we'll see you next week, boys. In Goal Radio. Goalies, parents, make sure you tell your kids, keep your heel down and your toe up, your gloves up, and your stick on the ice and your crease clean. Have a good week.